All right, so uh, Romans chapter 8, we finished with verse 9 last week, but I'm going to kind of tie in with that again, uh, just to sum up a couple things and as we move into the next couple verses, because tonight I want to uh, take a little bit, a little bit of a side path to talk about the Holy Spirit, because that is such a uh, intricate part of what Paul is getting ready to talk about. And there, there may be many in here that are familiar with the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but there may be others who aren't. And so we want to make sure that everybody can understand how the Holy Spirit works uh, in and through our lives, what God has done for us, because that is such a great part of this section. Twenty times in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And so out of uh, three times before this, and now all of a sudden 20 times in one chapter. So that uh, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit is very uh, vital to understanding how Paul wants the believer to live. He's been talking about how not to live. That's, that's what he's been doing for the last basically seven chapters. And so he's been talking about all those things that God has done for us so that we don't have to live by the law, because we can't live by the law. But believers, Christians, uh, have a tendency to want to go back and live by the law. They want to live by instructions. They want to live by this point and that point. Tell me what is right. Tell me what is wrong. I'll do all the things that are right. I won't do the things that are wrong. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that doesn't work for anybody, does it? So, in this, uh, in this section, then, Paul has moved in chapter 8 into the real solution for the believer's life, the solution to sanctification, the, the solution to living out the righteousness that God has given us. We've been made righteous through Jesus Christ, but now we need to live that outwardly in this world. We need to, to live to the glory of God, not just have that on the inside of us. That's a reality, and that's wonderful that God has done that for us. But then he left us a lot to do, and that's what we have during this path of life that God has assigned us here on earth, is to live out his glory, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. So that's really where chapter 8 uh, is, is leading. We're going to start uh, reading. I want to start reading again back in verse 5 and uh, lead into uh, verse 11. So Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So this is a very powerful section. Our study here in the book of Romans, grace and peace to you, we've, we've reached this, what I consider pinnacle of, of Paul's letter. This is the point from which he's telling them what God has done in them to give them the ability to do the things that are in the later chapters. Now, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are kind of a, uh, a, a parenthesis. We'll talk about that as we get to that, talking about what God has done uh, through the nation of Israel and for the people of Israel. But then, <clears throat> but then starting in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, he again comes back into talking how we live for God, how we can do these things. And the point being, you can't do them out of your own flesh. You can't do them out of your own ability. That won't work. And it's been proven by the Old Testament. <laughs> they couldn't do it before the law. They couldn't do it under the law. And we can't do it now after the law. We must have some kind of help. And that's where we're going to spend about half the lesson tonight talking about the helper. So in verse 9, this is kind of where we finished in our last section. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, notice the, the declaration that he starts this phrase with. If we, if we read kind of casually, he says in verse 7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So our tendency is to think that, you know, a believer that's living in the flesh is, is who he's talking about. He's not. How do we know that? Because of verse 9. You, you, all of you, all the people I'm talking to, you are what? Not in the flesh. So whatever, whatever he's been talking about doesn't have anything to do with living a good Christian life. We're going to go with that phrase, you know, uh, living out of pure righteousness instead of by the flesh. We think by the flesh means in sin but not in this passage. That's not the subject. The subject in the flesh has to do with living under the law, living like you lived before you got saved. That's what he means by living in the flesh, living like you used to live, living by rules and regulations. And of course, who's he talking a lot to? Jewish believers. Living by the rules and all of the laws that you had and all of the things that that uh, you remembered from the code of Moses, and you are so proud of yourself for living by all those things. That's living in the flesh. Living by the law is living in the flesh. Because you're living by the standards that you lived by before you got saved. You're not that person anymore. Which is basically what he says, you are not in the flesh. That's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are in the spirit. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Who does the spirit of Christ dwell in? Every believer. Every believer. He's not just talking about good believers. 
Not talking about really good, righteous believers. He's talking about what? Every believer. Ignorant believers? Careless believers? Unknowing believers? Every believer. Why? Because if you don't have the Spirit, you're not His. <laughs> I mean, it's as clear as that. So Paul is not talking here when he's talking about in the flesh. So I know our tendency is to think because in other passages, in the flesh has to do with living in sin. Murder, corruption, idolatry, evil, all those kind of things. That's, that's what we think of being in the flesh. But that's not what he's talking about. His subject has been, according to the law, trying to live by the law is living in the flesh. It's living below how God wants you to live. It's living by an inner creation that is alive to God, but you have rejected. You're, you're trying to live by something that you are not. Because in that sense, I'm not in bondage to the flesh any longer. I've been set free from bondage to the flesh. Amen. So, this is what he's going to be talking about as we work our way through this, this passage, okay? So, uh, his opening declaration to me is just one of those, like, high marks in Paul's theological proclamations. You are not in the flesh. Wow, Paul. <laughs> really? Do you know all of us? Do you know what we've done? It's not about what you've done. What's it about? About the Spirit dwelling in you. <laughs> it's about what you believed. And how, how have you been brought into this? Through faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So Paul's declaration, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Two different aspects, two different categories. In the flesh, a person before they receive Christ, a person who gives himself totally over to the former way of life, who's dominated by the world and the powers of this world, but that's not you. And so the law was meant to drive those people to Christ. And that's Galatians chapter 3. The law was meant for that. That it was meant to lead you to Christ. Galatians chapter 4. It became your tutor, leading you to Christ. But now that you've received Christ, you're free from the law. So, why are we trying to use it again? Because it doesn't, it doesn't do, it doesn't help me. As we said in chapter 7, all using the flesh, all, all using the law does is makes me feel guilty again. But that's not who I am. So, we, we ended our lesson last week with those, those proclamations, but not quite making it that strong because that wasn't my point back a week ago. But here, he wants to lead us into two things. So these two things, see them there on your, on your first page. You are not, but you are. You are not, but you are. These are not potentials. These are declarations. Are you a believer? You are not, but you are. 
Are you an unbeliever? You are, but you are not. <laughs> right? So a believer is in the flesh, or an unbeliever is in the flesh and not of the Spirit. So what does he mean by in the flesh? Again, I've said this. The context means living as one who is under the controlling influence of the flesh. That's not you. That is not you. You may allow the flesh to work, but you're not under its controlling dominion. That was broken. How? When you died in Christ. You're dead. Remember that little analogy of the, the wife whose husband dies? She's free from the former? Well, that's the way it is. That, that power of the flesh is dead. You're, you're not married to that anymore. You're free to marry someone else. And who is that? Christ. Right? So you're free to join yourself to another. So that's gone. That's gone. And so this idea of living by the flesh then pulls us into the law. And many of these Roman Christians were still living that way. They weren't that. They weren't in the flesh, but they were living like they were. They're living like they had to still apply the law in order to somehow please God or do the things that God has said. No, no, no. No, God has given us something else better than the law. Because the law couldn't help us. All it did is shamed us. But what God has given us is better. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not only going to help us, he's going to teach us, he's going to lead us, he's going to direct us, he's going to correct us so that we can fulfill the things that I'm living by a different principle than living by the law from the outside, I'm living by the Spirit from the inside. We're not subject to death because of sin, and thereby we're not subject to the law. See, those, those, those things work. The law was empowered by your sin, and sin was empowered by death. And so you got freed from death, sin, and the law. Thank God. How did that happen? I died in Christ. I was buried with him. That old nature is gone as far as its power. I can dig him up and drag him around if I want to, but you know, we're not going to do that. Paul's going to talk about that later on, but that's, that's not what we're doing. We're living by a new power that's on the inside. Living by a new reality. The old nature ruled our life and the law condemned our failures. That's the way we lived. Romans 5, 6, and 7. That's, that's how we lived. But you're not in the flesh any longer. Romans chapter 5, chapter 6. You died, what? With Christ. I say, so you died with Christ and you're now freed from that former power. That former being, that former reality, that bondage that you were under. Bondage to the flesh, and through the flesh, bondage to the law, and through the law, bondage to sin, and through sin, bondage to death. But that's not you. And that's what Paul is telling them. So, in that basis, stop living as one who is in bondage to the flesh and the law. 
Don't live that way. Because you're not. It's like living a lie. You're living deceived. You've been told you're, you're not this, and you've been told that for so long that you don't know what you really are. Well, you're not that. Now, I don't know how much preaching on the law must have been going on in Rome, but it must have been enough that Paul knew what was going on, and he is tired of it. And he is really hitting this over and over and over, so that this idea of living by the law no longer dominates this church in Rome, because that's where they were. And somebody was preaching it, he never mentions who, but in all those people he listed in chapter 16, he didn't say, oh, and this is the guy that's preaching that. No, he doesn't say that, but somebody was, some group of people were holding on to that, and somehow the, the word had gotten back to Paul, and he is ready to straighten that all out, which he's been doing over and over and over. Okay, so that's what you're not, but what are you? Let's go down the bottom page. Here, here's where you are. There's the new reality. This is what you are. You're in the Spirit. Oh, I'm not always in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit in this context. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Well, I'm not always in the Spirit. Sometimes you're in the Spirit. Stop it. I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about your reality. Well, I'm not always listening. I'm not talking about that. Well, that person isn't always in this. Thank you. We're not talking about behavior. This is not the subject. It's not behavior. The subject is reality. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Now, I'll come back to his his parenthesis here in just a minute. Why? What does that mean? In the Spirit means one whose life is under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're listening or not, that's another subject, but that's not the subject here. Right? You are under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Who said so? God said so. He put His Spirit inside of you. Here's your teacher. Listen to Him. Now, whether you are or not, that's a whole other subject. Which we'll get to. Trust me. We'll get there. But we've been brought into a dimension where we are no longer under the flesh as our controlling power. We're under the spirit. That's why I'm not to yield myself as a slave to sin, Romans chapter 6. I am supposed to yield myself as a slave to righteousness, Romans chapter 6. I am to give myself over. That's listening. But the controlling power has been placed inside of me. And so it is the spirit who's been made to dwell in you because of your faith in Christ Jesus. How did you get the spirit? God gave it to you. The day you accepted Christ, God put his spirit inside of you. Well, I, didn't, I didn't ask for it. That part you don't have to. It just comes. You believe in Jesus? The Holy Spirit is granted to you immediately. We'll talk about that. And so the Spirit has come in. And this Spirit is in there to recreate us, to bring us into union, but also to help us live this life. Again, whether you're listening or not, that's another subject. 
but he's there. And the Holy Spirit has been placed in you to be the controlling influence in your life. That's why he's there. Well, is it, I, thought, I thought the Word is supposed to be the controlling. Nope. Before the Word, before this book was written, the Spirit came to move into people. Before Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, through Revelation, before any of those books were written, the Spirit of God came to move inside of believers and to become the leading influence in their life. Thank God he gave some men direction to write this book so that we could know what is in there. But the reality is he's there. The Holy Spirit has been there since the day you believed in Jesus Christ. He came to move in. And he's there to help us. And if we listen to him, if we are spiritually minded... Going back a couple verses, if we're spiritually minded, then what will that will happen to us? It will lead us to what? Life and peace. So, that's where Paul wants us to go. Top of your next page. Look at Romans 8, verse 9. Again, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For in fact, if in fact, in the Greek, we've talked about the if words before. Conditional words, and you know we we think of you know if always means maybe maybe possibly kind of maybe 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 not maybe this maybe no if in the Greek language can be distinguished by certain other verb tenses and moods within the verse, and I just lost half of you right there. Okay, it's based on other Greek words. Okay, Bob's with me, so. <laughs> It's based on other Greek words and their verbal forms. All right? So if those words are in there, then there's four conditions of if. Three of them are the most important. Number one, if and it's true. That's called first condition. If and it's true. We might translate it. It's not direct. We might translate it because. We might translate it since. But the idea of if and it's true. If I were here tonight, oh, well, I am, so it's not a possibility. Since I am here tonight, and since I am the teacher, <laughs> I get to teach. So there. All right, so because, so it's a because, a sense. And it's very important in, a, in every verse it's found, but especially in significant verses, and this is one of those verses, if and it is true, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not of the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If and it's true, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and he does. All right, so that's the first condition if. Second condition if is the reverse of that. If and it's not true. If I were a lion, I'm not. If Ohio State had won their football game, if and it's not true, okay, if Oklahoma was number one, but, okay, moving on, I got to throw some of you in there to get you come along with me, but um, if and it's not true, and that's used to set a contrast, 
because there's things that God wants to say, and that this is, if, if it was, but it's not. Now, sometimes it comes as a correction. If you were listening, you would know what I said. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what condition of if I might apply to you. If I know you were listening, that's true. If, but you're not listening, I know that, and therefore you won't pass the test. But anyway, <laughs> if and it's not true. Then there's the standard if that we normally think of. If it might be true, and it might not be true. And that depends on something else in the sentence that is up to you to do. So that you have to do something in order to make this be true. All right? So those are the most prominent. There's a fourth condition, but that's almost not used. So in this context, Paul is using a first condition if. If and it's true. So you are in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he does. So you are. Now, again, Jeff, you're repeating yourself. I know it, but I'm going to keep on. How are you in the Spirit? Because you are obedient? Because you are doing the right thing? Because why? Because why? Because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. It's because His Spirit is in you. All right? You're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's it. If He doesn't, next point, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, again, he's not talking about being obedient. He's not talking about following. He's not talking about listening. He's not talking about doing everything that the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And I don't know any of us that have done that, but I'll move on from that. Anyone who does not have, does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So who would that be? Unbelievers, right? Those are unbelievers. Unbelievers who are in the flesh. So they don't have the spirit. You do. So then why are you living like them? You have the spirit to lead you, guide you, teach you, direct you. You have the spirit of Christ. You don't have to live by the law. You live by the spirit. Unbelievers don't have the spirit within them they are in the flesh and they are living by the law condemned by the law right Right. judged by the law appointed unto death Mm -hmm. until they what believe Believe in Jesus Christ and they flip sides Mm -hmm. immediately they come over to this side they're in the spirit because the spirit of God dwells in them now they have a chance to listen to a different record. But if I'm over on this side, then why do I want to listen to the law that's over on that side? When all the law did was condemn me because I was in the flesh, why do I want to live by the law? I want to live by the Spirit. Does that mean you don't have to do the things that the Bible says in the law? Thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not... No, because if I live by the Spirit, what? I've said it before. 
If I live by the Spirit, I won't do those things. Not because the Spirit tells me I can't, it's because the Spirit leads me a different way. So, there we are. So what does he say? Anyone who does not have does not belong. If you have the Spirit, you belong. You're saved, redeemed, made righteous. You are indeed a believer if you have the Spirit. If you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong. You are not saved. Don't expect an unbeliever to be able to live by the Spirit. They can't. He's not in there. All they can live by is the law, which condemns them, drives them to Christ. Say, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't preach, you know, the law. We shouldn't use it. Well, the law applies to unbelievers. It still does. And by the law, they will be judged. But they're first judged by one simple thing. Have they believed in Jesus Christ? We could put it another way. Do they have the Spirit of Christ? Do they have the Spirit of God? Because everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, what? Has the Spirit of Christ. So... There is the identifying factor. The Holy Spirit is this identifying factor between believer and unbeliever. The Holy Spirit becomes that identifying. He is, in this passage, Romans chapter 8, he's called the Spirit of God. He's called the Spirit of Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit. Notice we've got, actually, the Trinity. you got the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God, the Father, the Spirit of Christ, the Son. It's the Spirit. It's one Spirit, it's not three. It's not the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of God. No, it's one. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And Paul mixes them in here in this verse. Just he throws one in and in one sentence he uses both. For example, go back up to our verse 9. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Don't try to make a distinction. I've heard people go into the, well, you can have the Spirit of God, but you don't have the Spirit of God. Why are you talking about? There's not seven different Holy Spirits. There's not even three. It's one. He's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Christ. He is the Holy Spirit. All right. And so it is the Spirit that makes the presence of Christ known. I know there are times when we can say, well, the Lord spoke to me. This, this, but how is he speaking to you by the Spirit? It's, it's the Spirit in our life that is the, the thing that manifests the very presence. And the reality it is by the Spirit that I know I'm in Christ. It's not by Christ that I know I'm in Christ. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits. He is the one who has sealed me. I heard the message of the gospel. I believed that message. And I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Right? So the Holy Spirit moves in and becomes that inner witness to who I am, who I belong to. I belong to the Father. 
Spirit of God. I belong to the Son, Spirit of Christ. I am belonging to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I am, I got Him. And He is that manifestation that is on the inside. He's the one who makes the Spirit, the presence of Christ known in me. In me, first of all. But then also what? Through me. It is the Spirit that then begins to operate the purposes and the plans of God. God's righteous life that he's placed inside of me. The, the true joy and peace and the things that God has put within me in my recreated human spirit. God has placed this there and it is by the power of the Spirit that I bring those out. So, let's talk more about the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? It's become so vital. It is so absolutely important. Yet, there is a great majority of the body of Christ who knows very little about the Holy Spirit. They know very little about His work, what He wants to do, what He can do, how He will work through you. And so there are people who deny many things that the Holy Spirit wants to do because they've never been informed. And so they're saying things that they're uninformed about. I know, I know there's a whole line of, of preachers that say, well, God doesn't speak to anybody anymore. God does not speak individually to people. He only speaks through his word. I thought, what kind of ignorance are you? That, that is, that is, that is that's craziness. God himself said, I will lead you. I will speak to you. Jesus said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk about it for a minute. I'm going to be of your Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. They want to turn that around and say, it's only through the Bible that we're led, guided, taught. No. Holy Spirit. And people that don't understand that say things that are, pardon the phrase, ignorant, right? Just simply meaning they haven't learned yet. That's what I mean. They haven't learned yet. Okay. So who is this Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. All those phrases are found in Romans chapter 8. In all these 20 references, mostly is just called the Spirit. But a few times the spirit of life, the spirit of Christ, <clears throat> the spirit of God. Now, before we can understand it, we have to understand what this spirit is. He is the helper. The one phrase that Jesus used to, to illustrate the work of the Holy Spirit is he called him the helper. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture. That's what we're going to have most of the rest of our lesson. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. This section starts earlier in John chapter 14, but I'm just going to start in verse 16. Since they're on your page. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you till you do something wrong. Till you, till you make a mistake. Till you, what? 
to you nothing. He'll be with you how long? Forever. 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 Now, the Greek word forever means forever. Yeah, there you are. So, now I put down here the word helper. It's there below, helper. The Greek word that's used in this, there's, there's a verb form and there's a, a noun form. Um, the, the noun form is parakletes. Parakletes. And the verb form is parakleo, to help. All right, so he's the helper. He helps. And so this, the idea of this word, it's, it's one of the most beautiful words in, um, in all of the New Testament for what God does for his people. And it's not only what the Holy Spirit does. It's what God the Father does. It's also what the Word of God does. And it's what we as believers are supposed to be. So, the Holy Spirit helps. God the Father helps. Jesus, of course, helps. The Holy Spirit helps. The Word helps. And we help. So this is a beautiful word, and it's used in a lot of those dimensions. You don't always see it as this translation. Now, in the King James, it's the word translated comforter. All right? I will send you another comforter. So, John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, parakletes, parakletes, to be with you forever. Now, when we think of comforter, we think of one of those big, fluffy blankets, you know, that when it's cold, you wrap yourself in. Or comfort food. What, what's your comfort food? Give me something. Barbecue. Now, that's a, that's a man with me. All right, what's yours? Chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak. Oh, that's a, that's a comfort. With mashed potatoes and gravy. Okay. How about just gravy? Yeah. Chocolate. Hot chocolate. Beans and cornbread. Jan, beans and cornbread. We got all these soup, right? Chicken soup. Chicken soup cures everything. No, it just makes you feel like, I don't care. I may be sick, but I don't care. I'm happy. I got my chicken soup. All right, so, but to us, comfort means something that just makes us feel good. And we miss the meaning of the Holy Spirit when we see that word comfort. But we're missing the point. Because the man that gave us the word comfort, English word comfort, was a man named John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe, uh, when he first translated the Bible into Old English back in the 1300s, he didn't have a word for this Greek word that he came to, parakletes. So he made one. He called it comfortus. Come in Latin meaning with and fortis meaning strength. Comfort means with strength, not soothe your ruffled feathers. It's to add strength. So what is the meaning of the Holy Spirit to Wycliffe was the one who comes to 
Add strength. Add fortitude. Our, our word fortis, fortitude, fortress, all right? So Wycliffe said, that's, that's, that's the best word I could come up with. He's the one who adds strength, the strength adder. Now, here's the beauty of the Greek word, parakaleos. It's made from two words, para, P-A-R-A, beside, and kaleo, to call. Now, again, we misapply this if we think that the word parakaleo means I call the Holy Spirit to my side. That's, that's not the way the word is used. It's not me called to his side. It's not him called to my side. It's me called to his. He's the one who comes to our side to call us to strength, to call us to wisdom, to call us to knowledge, to call us to direction. He's the one who comes to our side. I'm not calling him to my side. He's calling me. And he's going to come and he's going to call me to strength. He's going to call me to fulfill what the Lord has given me to do. So when Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter. If I was by your side, what? I'd be telling you what to do. I'd be giving you directions. Is that right? If Jesus was by our side? And if you saw Jesus by your side in every detail and everything of life that you had to do, then there'd be almost nothing that you would be afraid to do. I got, I got Jesus by the side. Well, Jesus made a great statement. He said, I'm going to give you this one, and he's going to come to your side to encourage you to strength, to wisdom, to knowledge, to understanding, to ability. He's going to come to your side. Rick Renner came up with this word. I, I, I should have just, one of these days I'll stop saying Rick is the one that gave this to me, but I can't help it. He came up with the one word, coach. The Holy Spirit is the divine coach. Because he comes to our side, not to do it for us, but to tell us how to do it. And so the Holy Spirit comes to our side to coach us. To be the one who speaks into our life. The coach isn't going to go out on the field and make the play. He's going to teach the players how to make the play. And when they don't, he stands on the side and rants and raves and gets red-faced. And oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking about Nick Saban. But um, <laughs> this is, you got, he's, he's the one who's calling us to strength. And he's not going to do the work for you. Holy Spirit won't come and live your life for you. He's not going to come and fulfill everything that God's asked you to do. He's not going to walk out the plan of God for you. But he's going to tell you how to do it. He's the coach. All right, so now look at verse 17. What is this coach? He's a spirit of truth. That means whatever he says is what? True. True. <laughs> so I don't have to worry. I don't know. You know. Our earthly coaches can make mistakes. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For here's, here's the beauty. For he dwells with you. While Jesus was walking the earth, the Holy Spirit was dwelling with them. In who? 
in the person of Jesus. <laughs> he's dwelling with you. But here's, here's the beautiful part. He's going to do what? He's going to be in you. Oh, thank God. I don't need Jesus by my side. I mean, he's there. I got the Holy Spirit on the inside. Man, I, I can't be anywhere that he's not. I can't, I can't go anywhere to get away from him. Holy Spirit, would you just leave me alone? can't. I'm in you. <laughs> Wherever you go, I'm going. And what's he going to do? Verse, skip on down, John 14, skip on down to verse 26, and it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, this Paracletes, this divine coach, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring all to your remembrance that I have said. Now, I want to tell you, we got a lot of things that Jesus said in this book. But John said what? If we had all the books in the world, we couldn't contain all the things that Jesus said and did. We, we couldn't. But you know what? The Holy Spirit knows every one of them. He knows every one of them. And he can bring those things to our remembrance. Things I haven't even read yet. Things I haven't studied Say, well, you know, God can't bring it to your remembrance if you haven't studied it. Now I got the Holy Spirit. Because all these Christians that lived in Paul's day, they didn't have a book. But they did have the Holy Spirit. So, he's going to bring all things to your remembrance. Things that I have said. He's going to tell you things that that are specific for you about your situation and about the conditions and the circumstances in which you live that are the direction he wants for you, but they're not necessarily the direction he wants for me. Skipping over to chapter 16, John chapter 16, Jesus brings up the Holy Spirit again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. <laughs> don't go away, Jesus, don't. For if I do not go away, what? The coach will not come to you. The one who stands to your side to call you to strength. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world. He will convict the world. It's not my job to convict the world. It's not your job to convict the world. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what he will do. Now, I'm not going to go into these because that's not my time right now. But it is the Holy Spirit that does these things. Now, can he use our mouth? Yes, he can. Can he use our pen? Yeah, sure. Can he use Zoom today? Certainly. God will use all of those, those ways. But it's the Spirit of God who is doing this work, not you. I don't have to convict the world of sin. Verse 12, Jesus said, I have many things to say, but you cannot bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all that truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, which means he's not going to come up with stuff that doesn't come from me. That's what that means. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. 
So if all that the Father has belongs to Jesus, and all that Jesus has he gives to the Spirit, the Spirit is going to give what? All of that to us. So that there is nothing that we can be missing. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We got, we got the most incredible entity that we could think of. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And yet a great part of the body of Christ has no idea what they have. To them, the Holy Spirit is like one person said, he's that weird uncle that you hope doesn't come to your Thanksgiving dinner. You know, it's like, I don't I hope the Holy Spirit doesn't show up because if he shows up, he always does weird things. Well, leading you into righteousness and truth, leading you into life and peace, helping you to have a better life, uh, Holy Spirit, be as weird as you want to be. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are just, these are just a, a few passages about the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse, verse 5 now. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation. I know we call these the gifts of the Spirit, and they're listed as a gift here and a gift there, but actually they're the manifestations. The word manifestations means this is Him appearing. So, gift of the Spirit for healing is Him appearing. Gift of the Spirit of Word of Wisdom is Him appearing. A manifestation means an appearance. It's, it's like a flash of light. And so when the Spirit of God works through us, it's like a flash of light. So it says, where'd that come from? Came from God. Came from God. And what's it given for? The manifestation is given for what? What does it say? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit an utterance of wisdom, to another an utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another varieties, kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, this helper, this coach. All of these manifestations, all of these powers, all of these things God wants to do through us, through us, for us, to us, that he might be glorified. And all of this is God's work through the Spirit. So when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being in us, he is. You are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, and he does, and I've got a coach, a helper, an encourager, one who strengthens me, one who manifests himself through me in whatever dimensions or whatever works he wants to do, that's the Holy Spirit that's in me. Now, we're going to, as we move on through Romans chapter 8, so let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. As we move through this, section in Romans chapter 8, we're going to see the different ways that the Holy Spirit is going to manifest itself in our lives for us to bring glory to God 
in what we might call sanctification. Living out the righteousness of God on the inside is sanctification. We're made righteous, but living it outwardly becomes what we call sanctification. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We're made alive by the Holy Spirit. So if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now we're talking about our what? Our mortal bodies. We're not talking about our inner man. We're talking about the mortal flesh. The word mortal means, in one man's translation, uh, doomed to die. All right? It's, it's, there is, it's under the power of death. Right? And so when the Spirit of God has been made to dwell in us, He will quicken our mortal bodies. Now there's three different aspects of the ways that the Holy Spirit quickens our mortal body. Some of the commentaries focus on one or of the other of these. Uh, some may be on two. But actually, there's three different ways that the Holy Spirit manifests himself or quickens our mortal flesh. Number one, at the new birth. The first way the Holy Spirit quickens our mortal flesh is to change us inwardly so that we can be different outwardly. All right, so my mortal flesh. How can I live to God's glory? By the Spirit of God on the inside. So that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who made alive His body and gave Him new power, gives me new power. Well, I don't know if I can live for God. You can. Why? Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Don't tell me you can't. You can tell me you won't. You can tell me you don't want to. You can tell me you don't understand, but don't tell me you can't because the one that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. He can change your life. He can change your conversation by your, meaning you're talking. He can change your actions. He can change your attitudes. He can. Because he's the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. So he's there to do what? Quicken my mortal flesh. If, if Paul was just going to say so that he can make you new on the inside, no matter what happens, he wouldn't say to quicken your mortal flesh. He's talking about this body, these members that Paul talked about earlier. So reckon your members dead. How am I going to do that? By the Holy Spirit. And your spirit alive unto God. And so he's going to give me the power to live out this new life that's on the inside. Then also, there's an uh, application of this. The, the fact that he's going to quicken my mortal flesh. This can also apply to our physical bodies. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. He can affect my mortal flesh, my physical body. Through what? Through healing? Through strength, through divine abilities, through him giving me uh, strength for life so that I can fulfill all the things that God has called me to do. There are things that God expects for us to do, wants for us to do, that we have to be healthy to do. We've got to have strength. 
we got to be alive. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't stop working after he recreated your inner being in his image and likeness. And it's just the Holy Spirit just sit down. No, he's there to lead you, guide you, teach you, but also to quicken, make alive. That's what the Greek word quicken means, to make alive your mortal flesh, your body. And then the third aspect is at the resurrection. He's going to, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, oh yeah, he's going to raise this body from the dead. Or change it. Whether he comes back first or I am dead, I'm going to be alive for him. Al Poncel and I had this ongoing thing. I, I want to be alive and watch the people come out of the grave. He wants to be dead and experience coming out of the grave. It's like, you know what? One way or the other, one of us is going to be right. Right? So, all right, we might both be right. But anyway, because when the Lord comes, when he appears, I'm going to be like him. This mortal flesh will be changed. Paul calls it in Philippians chapter 3.21. I've used this reference before. Paul calls it our vile body. Vile simply means earthbound. Lowly, one translation has. Our lowly body will be changed into the same image as his glorious body. Oh, glory to God. And the beautiful thing about this, the Greek word for transformed that's used in Philippians 3 is the word schematizo, which means just change the outward form. Why? Because the inner man's already been changed. All Jesus is going to do is change this shell. <laughs> okay, moving on from that. I know I got too Greeky on you for a minute there, but okay. Uh, in a moment. When's this going to take place? How's it going to take place? In a moment. Now, I know I'd like to watch it, you know, like on the early Star Treks where the beam thing goes, it's kind of there, it's kind of not there, maybe it's there, maybe it's not there, you know. No, it's going to be like that, over and done, changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I will be like him. Boy, talk about quicken your mortal flesh. And how's that going to happen? By his spirit that dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken and make alive your mortal body. Glory to God. So Father, we thank you.